This is episode 301 of the Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase and Joel will take a look at Frozen 2, as well as go over the week in movie news and movie trailers. All that and more on today's Real Me In. What is going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Chase Lee, and this is a movie podcast where we talk about anything and everything, anything about movies. It's just uh, what we're here for. It's what we like to do. So if you are a new listener, welcome. Hopefully we didn't scare you off, and if you are looking for a podcast uh, to listen to about movies or go really in-depth uh, with the conversations, uh, I think you have found your place, and uh, we're, we're a little spry and spunky as well. We have a little bit of a personality, so I think uh, if you're new here and you decide to take a chance on us, thank you for taking a chance, and hopefully you stick around. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. We always appreciate you guys. You guys are da bomb. This is episode 301. Like I said up at the top, we'll be going over the sequel to one of the biggest hits of 2013, and quite possibly... The biggest uh, spread of ears bleeding uh, throughout the entire year after hearing Let uh, Let It Go for like 400 times on the radio. So, um, yeah, huge movie uh, in 2013. We're going to be talking about its sequel and, of course, uh, address some of the trailers and news that dropped this week. It's going to be a fun episode. Before I throw it over to my co-host, though, if you guys could spread this episode around, you know, share, subscribe, do what you got to do, do all the social media stuff and uh, really help uh, this show out and uh, spread it around because I definitely got made fun of today (laughs) when I was uh, talking with another podcast network. But we'll get into that in just a second. So before we get into my uh, week, uh, Joseph, uh, what is going on over there? Um, You know, uh, before before, uh, you you say uh, anything, uh, our our wonderful listener Brad uh, sent me uh, that uh, Lord of the Rings meme uh, where Frodo is like, uh, 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 you keep your secrets now uh, every time. Because he, he threw that at me when he said, uh, when you and I talk about Fahrenheit uh, and the degrees. <laughs> so uh, I thought that was kind of funny. So just for Brad, uh, Joel, what is the temperature outside? What is the Fahrenheit going on out there? <laughs> well, let me look here. Uh, <laughs> just the for temperature... you, Brad, we love you. Right, yeah, the temperature outside right now is 44 degrees fahrenheit um it's here at least in mckinney where i am which is the city that i live in we are so sorry Um, to all the listeners including brad that live in canada (laughs) right and chase is in dallas where it's uh 47 so yeah it's it's uh it's pretty crazy it's uh it's that time of year where it suddenly shifts from summer to winter we barely had a we barely had a fall, guys. It, it, we barely did, and it's and it's just insane. But uh, but yeah, my week uh my week was pretty empty. I didn't work all week. Just a, you know, kind of an accident of sh- uh, scheduling. I didn't have any uh work weekdays. That's kind of one of the <laughs> unintentional perks, I guess. Sometimes of retail work is sometimes you just don't work during the week. You work on the weekends. So of course I've got two shifts coming up. But um. But yeah, I haven't worked this week, so I've just been, you know, seeing movies. Uh, okay, so my first uh, experience uh, with trying to see a movie at a screening this week went horribly awry. So Monday night, um, okay, no, 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 I'm not going to start there. I was going to try to see Waves. I was, um, 
uh, given an opportunity through Angelica Film Center to see Waves at a public screening. Uh, in fact, it was one that was technically <laughs> was press not allowed. Of course, if you're press, you just don't announce that you're press, and that's fine. You can go. Um, so I tried to go, and it's this um, theater inside a massive outdoor shopping center called the Shops at Legacy, uh, just a, a city over from me in Plano. And so I go, I get in. That's that's one of the worries too, is if it's public, you have to wait. Uh, you have to be able to get in, and I easily was able to get in. Uh, they had it in their biggest theater, and um, or I think or second biggest theater, I think. So plenty of people were there, um, and plenty of uh, plenty of opportunities to get in. Considering I got there about an hour early, and uh, so the movie starts. I'm really enjoying it. It's crazy, um, really wild sense of uh, filmmaking style and and all of that. Very, very different from director Trey Edward Schultz's last movie, which was very patient. Um, in in comparison to this, is the it comes at night. This one's waves, and um, about an hour in. The power went out in in the theater, so I was like, okay, well, this has happened before, you know. This is this is pretty, this is relatively normal ish, right? So, like, okay, well, it'll come on in a few minutes. And about four or five minutes passed, still not still not unusual. Sometimes it's a lot quicker than that. Sometimes it can be ten minutes, right, before they figure out what's going on and actually fix the problem. Uh, sometimes it's a fuse thing. Sometimes it's just uh, um, a thrown breaker. You never know. So. Five minutes pass. Um, we're all like, okay, so what's going on? And then somebody walks in and says, "Sorry, guys, the entire shopping center lost power." So that has never happened to me. Uh, I've never experienced that. Apparently, this particular shopping center experienced it a few months ago. So I'm not entirely sure what's going on over there, because um, I feel like more than once that's that's not very good. And you probably should should figure out a way to fix the problem so that it doesn't happen again. But it did. Whole shopping center lost power. It was 30 minutes. Well, uh, I waited 30 minutes past that, you know, the five minutes. So I, I 35, 40 minutes in, in in total waiting to find out whether or not we could actually see the movie. Um, and they decided after half an hour that it's probably not going to be fixed uh, in order to, you know, in a, in a in a timely manner for us to finish the movie because it's movies already two hours and 15 minutes. Um, you know, only an hour went by. If you add an extra half hour to that, that's almost three hours in the theater, and they don't want people to do that if they were only planning on, you know, maybe a two a two and a half hour trip. So um, left, and apparently they did not fix the problem until like seven a.m. the next morning. So I'm I'm glad that I left. <laughs> I'm glad that I did not decide to stay. Ultimately, um, I just want to commend the A24 rep though because. When this happened and when people were walking out, there were three, I think three, that I saw people laying really unwarranted and unnecessary blame on this rep for what happened. Um, okay, so the rep is not with the theater. The rep is with A24, so there's really absolutely no culpability over the A24 rep <laughs> for what the Angelica Theater – or what happened to the Angelica Theater. Second, it wasn't even the Angelica Theater's part considering it was the entire – um, shopping center. Then there was the issue of the fact that it was a free screening. So nobody paid for it, which means that they cannot give money back or give free movie vouchers to anybody because the value of the screening they went to was free. That's that's company policy. I've never known that to be any, anything different with anyone, even like retail stores. If you get 
something for free, you can't really return it for money because I mean you could you know you work at a place like me like mine, you could sell it back to us, but you can't you can't return something that you got for free for money because it doesn't exist. The money doesn't exist for that thing. So um, that made people very angry. Um, a lot of them did get free vouchers. Uh, you know, throughout the theater because they were seeing movies that that they paid for, but all the people that were in my screening did not, and man, they were they were angry. So I just want to commend Angelica for remaining, uh, <laughs> you know, professional throughout all this. The A twenty four rep for taking a lot of that blame in stride. Good job. So, um, then let's see. I think I was home on Tuesday. Um, Wednesday we saw a movie. Uh, I think we can acknowledge that we saw it, right? You mean so, Tuesday? Wednesday. Oh, it was Wednesday. Hey, it listen, guys. Uh, my brain is dead. Um, yeah, we, we, can, no, we can we can acknowledge no that we've seen it. We just can't. Place. We just can't talk about it. Right. Right. We can't. We can't. Yeah, we saw Little Women. Uh, we just can't talk. We just like can't tell you how it is or anything like that. We can't talk about it at all until I think this coming. What is it? Monday. Uh, it technically is. I think when the, the embargo 25th. dropped. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's this Monday, so we can't talk about how it is, but we did see that on uh, on Wednesday. The experience was fun, of course. Obviously, always fun to see a movie out in Dallas with with my uh, with my husband Chase. Um, <laughs> love you, Chase. And uh, then Thursday, you know, I saw this movie that we're reviewing right after A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Um, a Beautiful Day in the ha- in the Neighborhood is wonderful, completely and totally loved it. Uh, definitely going to be talking about that movie in a few weeks. Hint, hint. Um, let's see. Uh, throughout the week, in terms of other stuff going on, not not a whole lot. Um, our Thanksgiving uh, celebration stuff, you know, food and all of that, it's tomorrow. So uh, because people are going to be out of town next week, so I haven't even had that yet. But um, but yeah. Uh, it's uh, you know it's been a pretty fun week, lots of lots of movie related things really uh, more than more than personal stuff. But uh, that's how it's gone for me. What about you, Chase? Yeah, uh, same for me. Uh, we saw Little Women on Wednesday. Took Monday and Tuesday off, and then Thursday. Um, uh, same goes for this movie. Can't tell you how it is, but saw Uncut Gems, and that won't be a main conversation for a future episode. Little Women is so. You won't get a mini review, of Little Women. You get a full-on episode with both of us. But for Uncut Gems, um, you'll get that Christmas week. Um, yeah, and then a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I've already dropped the mini episode, but it, guys, it's such a good movie. It, like it's just so, just so warm, and just really just kind of gets to you. Um, and uh, see, was I was I lying to you when I told you that uh, Chris Cooper was the bomb in that movie? Oh, oh yeah, he's so good. Uh, and he pl- I mean, <laughs> we'll just say he's in Little Women, and, and there, he he plays he plays a father in both, and they're so different. Um, there's such different just readings of the char- of characters of fathers, and it's and it's so interesting to see that back to back. Um, and he's fantastic in this. Uh, it's one of my it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, beautiful day in the neighborhood is it, it's just um it and it works for unintended uh, for unexpected reasons i wasn't really expecting it to be about what it was about i kind of stayed away from a lot of the you know the stuff uh so i i didn't i was not expecting what it would be about and it's just it's just wonderful um and right it's 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 one of those things to where when the movie starts 
you're like, oh, yeah, Mr. Rogers. And then when it goes off uh, uh, after that scene, you're like, okay, this is the perspective yeah. that we're going for. This is interesting. And so. what's what's really cool uh, – I don't want to go on and on about this one because right. we've got another movie to review. But what's really cool is that they shot it on the actual set, the actual set, the actual studio space in which Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was shot with the props, puppets, sets, even the cameras. Uh, uh, you know the, the images we see. They they use the uh, the the show as kind of a framing device for the movie. And when we see kind of Tom Hanks and Mr. Rogers mode in those scenes, those are the actual cameras used for the show. Yeah, um, it's a uh, it's it's amazing and it's an amazing. I mean, it's not even a reconstruction technically. I mean, it is from a logistics standpoint, but it is incredibly accurate because it is accurate, except for the fact that it's Hanks. And except for the fact that obviously they the, this base this set has basically been museumized almost mm-hmm. it hasn't ever moved it's never been uh, deconstructed so they were able to just go in dust everything off and then just reuse the thing you know kind of added obviously their own crew and and um, uh, and people p- playing a crew but in every other way it's completely accurate and it's amazing to watch that um, yeah, the, and it's the, just uh, well, such a beautiful story right so. yeah the authenticity of uh, actually using the set makes the whole movie look vintage. Like I, mm-hmm. I said in my review, it, it kind of reminds me of something like PBS would put together and put up yeah, on their channel, exactly. which is yeah. a great compliment. Um, yeah, it is a great compliment. It's it, uh, People are going to think like, oh, so it's like low, low lo-fi. Budget, it's yeah. really, it's really, I mean, it's kind of low budget, but it's not, it doesn't. But it works you know, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It works. It, it's very, it, it's very old fashioned uh, kind of entertainment just filtered through this through this interesting framing device that you wouldn't wouldn't anticipate. Yeah, and I mean, I there's, really there's just a, a lot of like little things with that movie that you kind of notice. Like for instance, every time when he visited the set or when he was around Fred Rogers, it was the only time in the movie where there was color. The mm-hmm. the, the rest of the time outside of that was just like gray. It was drab, and that mm-hmm. kind of was a reflection of what he was going through. And so once again, just little touches like that. I'm like Marielle Heller. I love you. <laughs> like you, yeah, you a good director. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, check that out. Uh, I almost, I almost half wish that we had chosen this one. But yes, yes. Th- but the fact is, I mean, we're we're also talking about the a sequel to one of the best, biggest movies of the decade. So <laughs> right. So like, yeah, you kind of have know, to. Interesting little uh, uh, um, trade off there, but uh, but yeah, it's wonderful. Really, really wonderful. You can you'll be able to read my review of that this weekend uh, as of tomorrow morning. So um, yeah, I uh, uh, the movies that came out this weekend were actually like. Uh, all relatively good. Like I would even suggest Honey Boy as well. If you guys missed mm-hmm. that review, uh, please check that out. Um, seeing that one on uh, Tuesday. Can't oh my wait. god, you're gonna be so, you're gonna be blown away. Like you're gonna yeah. be like. Shia I got a LaBeouf. huge movie week next week. I've got some some uh, movies to catch up with. I'll just I'll just put it that way. <laughs> and then uh, and then I got Honey Boy and Knives Out on Tuesday. I'm I am spending all of actual Thanksgiving Day watching The Irishman and writing the review of that <laughs> because it'll take gonna... all day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm probably going to be uh, doing the same thing for the report on Friday, because um, that's when that uh, lands on Amazon Prime. So I am excited. It's going to be a huge day full of literally movies every day <laughs> next week. So that doesn't come. That hasn't come often uh, this uh, this past few weeks, for whatever reason. So yeah, it's, uh, uh, we are well, entering the season. Yeah, once you hit, once you enter the season, like there's no turning back. Like you start to become a zombie, and then you will. Uh, just look tired all the time, and people will be like, "Are you eating correctly? Are you sleeping? No." And then you just move on, uh, exactly. and, then, and then you die in a corner somewhere. Um, and then, you, then you are rebirthed by the new year. Um, I don't yeah. know how Mark does it. I still don't. Like, I, I, Mark I, is I a have machine. no idea. 
he's he's a he's a robot who plugs himself in every night. It's it's insane. I want I want his wife to actually uh, film him and make a film documentary him. on like his, his his daily process. You need to prove that you're alive, sir. <laughs> Are you you're, an actual you're not human? An android. Um, Are you yeah. played by Brent Spiner? All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah. No. Um, after Uncut Gems, uh, I, we immediately went to um, Frozen Two, and uh, I won't get into the movie right now, but just real quick, man. I, we saw it at 9.30, and you would think at that time, on a Thursday night nonetheless, because I don't think kids are out of school yet, there would be no kids there. It would be like maybe three or four people, and we can enjoy it in peace. No. There were kids everywhere. There were babies crying. There was a dude behind us, which I think I, – like, I don't mean this to be funny or a joke. I think he was actually like homeless with, like, with his daughter because like, uh, he started mm. – like making a bunch of noise and stuff and like he left halfway through and like left his daughter i think and like she was sleeping uh in the chair it was such a weird experience that happens that happens to me every uh every week all right <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> your parents just leave you right um no yeah. i mean uh, witnessing that uh, oh yeah, witness yeah, yeah. uh it's, it's it was wild man i was like this is a this is a kid's film what's happening like i get i would expect this from like okay um uh, i'm trying to think of like what was the last uh R-rated movie. Um, oh, Uncut Gems. Like, what if I walked into an Uncut gym screening at 9.30 p.m. and there were babies everywhere? And it's just it, it would be <laughs> such a weird experience. And I know that this was a kid's movie, but I specifically chose that time and day to avoid that. And <laughs> to it was, avoid them. <laughs> yeah, and they were still littered with them. It, it was insane. They, just, they, they knew that that was happening, and they were like, well – we're just gonna. We're just gonna go. We're just yeah, gonna do I'm, it. I'm just like my parents. If, gonna if specifically was, annoy Chase uh, at this screening. <laughs> yeah, is he gonna be at this one? Um, <laughs> if my parents saw me even stay up past 9 p.m. at nine years old, they probably would have like took their belt <laughs> off and whipped me. Like I don't understand so like how is, these kids are just running around at this time. It was it so. Was this strange. is a am- this is amazing because I saw it at 7:30 uh, yesterday evening, and I mean there were there were some kids, but it was not a full house. Um, I have to, there was a 7 PM 3d show. So I've, I'm assuming like all the people who were going to go to my theater, were going to that one. So I guess it's not super surprising cause they were, you know, conflicting screenings and seven o'clock's a little earlier, maybe a little more, um, a little better for, for bedtime and also a little better for, uh, just like getting there and eating, but it wasn't a full house and the kids were not rowdy, uh, that were in there. They were all into the movie. So it was actually a really good experience. So I just—it's just funny that I had the the better experience at seven thirty than you had than you did at nine thirty. Well, to, to be uh, fair, I went to North Park and um, oh yeah, yeah 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 they're yeah they're a lot rowdier than Stonebriar, which is uh, we went we both went to AMC for this. So right. Um, so yeah. I, listen, I've learned my lesson. Uh, if Joel wants to record on a Friday and I gotta go on a Thursday. I'm just gonna come back home and do the uh, go down to the studio movie grill because that was just a terrible experience. I was like, I wasted all that right. money on that. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah. Um, other than that, let's, uh, let's, yeah, let's get into some trailers. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna uh, dive uh, right into. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, the experience was just crazy. But so the first trailer um, that dropped this week, it, and I gotta be honest with you, I have no idea what it's about, and it's. Awesome. So uh, the first one's called Antebellum, and this one comes from Lionsgate. comes out uh, next year, 2020, April 24th. It stars Janelle Monae, Kiersey Clemens, Jenna Malone, Jack Huston, 
uh, Gabri Sidibe. Like, it's got a pretty interesting cast. Um, and I'm just going to read you what IMDb says, and you can make of it what you will. Uh, successful author Veronica finds herself trapped in a horrifying reality and must uncover the mind-bending mystery before it's too late. What, what does that set up for you? Like, if you were listening to this episode right now, and I just read that to you, what do you picture? Because when you watch the trailer, it's jumping from, like, um, the slavery era to, like, modern day, and, like, it's the same person. It is weird, man. It it seriously looks like uh, a hardcore version of, like, a Twilight Zone episode. I honestly don't know what it's about. It was just, it presented basically that, where, like, uh, you know, Veronica was, like, doing her thing, uh, and she uh, she's played by Janelle Monet in this movie, <laughs> and then it jumps to, like, her her as a slave, and, like, it goes back to modern time. I'm like, what is happening? Now, keep this in mind. It is a teaser trailer, so it's just kind of setting you up, right? Um, they are pushing this movie forward as a, you know, uh, the next Get Out or Us, because it even says from the producer of Get Out and Us on the poster. So they're really pushing heavy on that, which is very interesting, by the way, because Get Out and Us were distributed by Universal. Universal has a... Uh, um, contract with Blumhouse, so I'm wondering if like this producer kind of bounces everywhere because um, this this is from Lionsgate, so I just find that interesting. Once again, no idea what it's about, and I could not be happier about that. I love horror thrillers that just keep the mystery to a minimum, and you go in not knowing a dang thing, and then you walk out feeling pleasantly surprised. So with this cast and the uh, uh, mystery... mystery you know, the alluring sense that this trailer is kind of given. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm down for it. Uh, this is my jam. So Antebellum, April 24th, 2020. The next trailer has one of the weirdest CGI dogs I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the Call of the Wild uh, coming out next year, uh, February 21st, 2020. This one comes from Fox slash Disney slash Owning Everything. Uh, and this one stars uh, Harrison Ford. Um, and he is with a dog in the wild, the call of the wild. Um, a sled dog struggles for survival nice, in, <laughs> in the last one. Thank you. Um, this is how I pitch movies. Um, and so, uh, he and the dog, they try to survive. There's a blizzard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't mind movies like this. Uh, they could be, you know, uh, good family entertainment, uh, really kind of pushing the boundaries on the, thematic stuff and you know can be a little edgy but still be you know family oriented like i'm cool with all that stuff the only issue i have with this trailer is the dog because it's cgi and it just looks weird now i get that you can't put because there, there's rules uh with the humane society for animals like you can't put them in dangerous situations like that unless you have like a bunch of people around them protecting them and they're trained and all that i get that but it just looks so weird, Joel. Like when you watch the trailer, it's like he's he's clearly talking to a a very gummy looking CGI dog, and I don't. It's know... It's actually a motion captured dog. Whatever, uh, man. I it just... no, I know, I know. Yeah. It's Terry. It's Terry Notary who did one of the um uh the apes in the Planet of the Apes trilogy, the new Planet of the Apes trilogy, and he was that dude who did the weird uh, ape thing in that movie, The Square. Um, from a couple oh, yeah. years ago, uh, in the, you know, with the, with Elizabeth Moss and, and all of that. Um, 
Yeah, I've seen the trailer. I'm going to go through what, I, what I've seen because uh, I'll explain why in a second. But uh, but yeah, I have seen this trailer. So right. go ahead and, like, and go for it. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, like, I, I get like when you watch the trailer, there's a lot of perilous situations that you obviously cannot put a dog through and you obviously cannot recreate because there's a lot of avalanches. And all. I get that. But it's just clean up a little bit. I mean, we're four months away. It's very possible they, they could still be in the cleanup phase. Um but I am curious about it because it is director uh, Chris Sanders, who is more well known for uh, animation uh, with you know DreamWorks and uh, you know has written stuff like Lilo and Stitch. Like he's very prominent in the animation game. So jumping into live action like this, sure, you know I'll, I'll give it a shot. And uh, you know Harrison Ford, do your do your thing, man. Um, and the last trailer I want to talk about just real real quick here. Uh, Okay, uh, is Emma, and this one is the adaptation of the Jane Austen novel, Emma. Uh, the uh, uh, actress in question that plays Emma is Anya Taylor-Joy. Now, I'm sure Joel can uh, talk about this one more than me because I don't read uh, at all, uh, and Jane Austen novels is probably way way above my head. So, But I will say for as far as period pieces go and as far as making it more of a comedy – like it has more of a comedy bent. It's not really you know heavy with the the drama or you know that's how the novel is to right. Be honest with so, the romance yeah. or what it like it, it's got a light tone to it and I like that. It's it's different. So uh, yeah, I, I mean I, I really can't really comment on it. I, it it definitely um, if I had to put a movie to compare it to like comedy wise, it's not going to be anything like this, and it's not even going to have the same rating. But it, it kind of reminded me of a. Uh, um, the favorite a little bit when the the trailer was kind of playing out and uh, just the way it looked and the way that doesn't looked. that doesn't surprise me. I haven't right. I haven't seen this trailer by the way, but yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it, it reminded me so much of the the tone and the the kind of flow of the favorite. So hey, I'm down. Uh, so believe it or not, uh, all the even with the problem I have with the Call of the Wild, I, I actually like all three trailers this week. Uh, and of course, Antebellum is the winner just because. It looks crazy. Uh, so, Joel, you said you've seen the Call of the Wild trailer? That is the only one of these that I've seen. I'm also going to bring up another trailer, uh, just oh, so you know. because whoops. So basically by now, I think that people have probably caught on to this. I, I don't seek out trailers, but I will just – I'll sit through them in the theater. So if I see one, I'm fine. You know, it's It was sort of paranoia on my part earlier this year to just avoid them. Um so I'll I'll see them and there was one that played in front of a beautiful day in the neighborhood that uh, Chase would not have seen because he saw it at a at a screening, and uh, it did not play in front of Frozen Two. So they're just playing in front of that one. Anyway, I'll bring that up in a second, but I will comment. Um, I'm very very curious about Antebellum. I haven't seen the trailer for it yet, of course. Uh, definitely sounds like something else. Um, Emma, I I really like the novel. I haven't read it in a long time, but it is one of Jane Austen's comedies. So I can I can fully believe everything that you're saying about it. Um, I know that Anya Taylor Joy is a really good casting choice um, for that, and uh, so I'm I'm certainly interested in that. Um, Call of the Wild. I would agree that the dog looks a little weird, um, but I'm excited for the fact that it's an old fashioned adventure tale uh, on the big screen again because it right. feels like these these tend to go like either either really, really small release uh, or directly to Netflix. So it's nice to see Fox slash Disney putting this up on the big screen. Um, I like the fact that it's Harrison Ford and 
anyway, it, it looks it looks fun. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that I like adore the trailer, but it it does look really enjoyable. Okay, so the trailer I was gonna bring up is uh it's called I Still Believe. Now, a couple years uh, last year uh in 2018 there was a movie called I can I can only imagine. Uh, there was the story of the coming together of Mercy Me, the Christian uh, contemporary group. And that team has decided to take another Christian musician's story and um, adapt it to uh, the big screen and name it after their big song. And that's this case. Uh, I don't even know if you would have heard of him, uh, heard of this guy, but his name is Jeremy Camp. Uh, his story is a lot more dramatic and tragic than um, – the guy from I forgot his name uh, from uh, from Mercy Me, which was kind of a pointless movie to me. Um, this one stars AJ, uh, KJ Appa, who plays Jeremy Camp, uh, who was a um, a singer getting ready to marry a young woman named Melissa, played in this movie by, by Britt Robertson. Um, and the story goes that she contracted I think it was cancer or leukemia, and they got married uh, despite the fact that it was such a uh, uh, you know, a hopeless, uh, prognosis. Um, and she died during their, um, their, uh, honey, honeymoon. So he was, he kind of lost faith for a little while. And then this movie's about him regaining that, of course, because it's from the <laughs> directors of, I can only imagine. Uh, and you know, they know how to make a trailer. They definitely make this one seem very, uh, um, inspirational and all of that. Uh, it's got an interesting cast beyond those two because uh, his parents are played by Gary Sinise, that makes sense, and Shania Twain, uh, which is the least likely person I can think of uh, to be in a movie. But anyway, you know, it looks it looks fine, I guess. Uh, it looks heartwarming, but. I got to say the thing that's working against it is the fact that I can only imagine was awful. Um, and like on a, on a pure flicks level, even though this is not pure flicks, this is, uh, some other production company. I've forgotten which one. Um, I'm going to look at that now, actually. No, I can't find it. Uh, anyway, so it looks fine. Whatever. So that's my, that's my trailer coverage. <laughs> there you go. Uh, thank you for your right. insight. <laughs> Yes, you're welcome. I just noticed. I just noticed that whenever you said the final one, I knew it. I knew it was probably going to be Emma or something, and that you probably didn't see this one. So I was like, you know what? I've seen a trailer. I might as well talk about it. All right. So we're going to get into some news. I'm going to cover three big, uh, not big, but three medium-sized news things before we get into some award stuff. Um, first up is one of my favorite bits of Netflix news in a while. So. Back in 1974, a masterpiece was released, and that is Chinatown from director Roman Polanski. Yes, I know, you know, elephant in the room, it was Polanski, but it is a masterpiece. It's mostly a masterpiece because of Robert Towns' screenplay for the film. It's the, the first time I saw this was on a big screen, too, so that was pretty nice. saw this at a, uh, a special event thing in, uh, here in Allen next to us uh, at, a, at a Cinemark. They, they uh, showed it for one night, and I got to see it with a friend, so... Uh, that was about five years ago, maybe even longer. I love it. And they uh, Netflix has decided to do a prequel series, and the people that they've gotten for it are perfect. One, because because Town is involved. Robert Town wrote the original 
uh, screenplay. And also the executive producer, potentially the director of the first episode, um, and that is David Fincher, uh, who basically wouldn't have been able to make movies like Seven or Zodiac uh, without the influence of something like Chinatown, which is very much procedural with no clear answers. And um, uh, I guess Seven has clearer answers, but whatever. Uh, Fincher is a perfect, perfect pairing with Town, uh, with somebody of Town's sensibilities, and uh, and with Netflix to bring something like this to uh, you know kind of back in the fold. Love hearing this. Um, the next bit of news is one of the weirdest things I have ever heard of. It's the best thing we've it ever is, heard of. Th- that's true. That th- there's also that. So <laughs> Nicholas Cage. <laughs> oh, that man. Uh, I love him. All right. Nicolas Cage is going to play a version of Nicolas Cage in a meta-referential drama called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent (laughs) for Lionsgate because, of course, he's been uh, pairing with them for a bunch of low-rent action movies recently. They're, they're, you know, uh, like day-and-date stuff. This is not going to be that. Uh, This is definitely going to be a theater thing, I think. Um, And basically... uh, (laughs) Here's, here's what it is. <laughs> okay. Lionsgate beat out Paramount and HBO Max for, for the strangely hot project, which follows actor Nicolas Cage, in quotes, who's trying to get a role in a new Tarantino movie while navigating a strained relationship with his teenage daughter. He's also under a mountain of debt and as such is forced to make an appearance at a birthday party of a Mexican billionaire who also happens to be a ruthless drug kingpin who has kidnapped the daughter of a local politician. Naturally, the CIA recruits Cage to get involved and assume the role of action hero once again. This is awesome, awesome, awesome material. It sounds completely insane, and did I say awesome? Uh, it's going to be directed by a guy named Tom Gormican. I'm not familiar with him. Uh, he co-wrote the screenplay with Kevin Edden. Again, I'm not familiar with these people, but I'm totally down for this project. I, I cannot wait to see how this all turns out. Um, it sort of sounds like uh, – I'm looking at Collider here. Uh, this is where I get my news, and basically they've got a – Absolutely correct. It basically looks like a cross between adaptation because of the, the cage connection there and, and also it's self-referential. Sort of a get shorty type of caper, which that's awesome. And uh, JCVD, I don't know if you've seen that one, Chase, but this is that's the movie in which uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme played a fictional version of himself during a bank robbery. Right. Uh, have you seen that one? I have not seen it, but I've heard a lot about it. I actually listened to an interview with him talking about it, and he sounds just as insane as Nicholas Cage. Okay. Yeah, it's a really good movie. It actually turns quite poetic. It's very self-referential. There's this big, long, like, 10-minute monologue straight to the camera that he gives. It's probably not going to be anything like this movie, but it is sort of uh, uh, a meeting place of all of these things. And uh, and Cage, you know, is kind of famously difficult to work with, but he does also just as famously have a big sense of humor about himself. So and that's that's like famous. Um, he's famous for for having that. Um, so I'm really excited for this. I can't wait. It's uh, uh, yes, even with our next bit of news, this is that's my favorite bit of news of the week. So um, and that says a lot considering the next bit of news involves Paul Thomas Anderson, and that is the fact that Anderson is coming back to filmmaking. Uh, the last one that he made was Phantom Thread, and uh, I believe. To be ready for 2021, he's going to be shooting a movie. Um, I don't think it has a title yet, but it is um, a high school movie set in the 70s. And uh, so it's kind of his 
his return to the Boogie Nights era, uh, which is awesome. And um, yeah, so I can't wait for that. Obviously, it's going to have a lot of people in it <laughs> because that's how he works. He's very Altman-like in that in that respect. And uh, for him to tackle younger a younger crowd like this um, of actors, it's going to be very interesting because he doesn't work with um, with child actors a lot. Uh, you know, obviously he worked with like um, what's his name, Jeremy Blackman in uh, Magnolia, the uh, Donnie Smith. Um, there's been a couple times, but uh, and then oh, um, what's his name from um, There Will Be Blood? Forgot his name. Um, but now that's gonna kill me. <laughs> anyway, I can't wait for this. Uh, to him, for him to kind of go into uh, untested territory for himself as like a writer director. That's awesome, and I can't wait to see how that turns out. So, uh, Chase, just wanted to get your reactions to all of these. What do you think of all of this? Right, so with the Chinatown prequel, I'm actually going to flip it on you. I've actually never seen Chinatown. However, okay. I've seen both seasons of Mindhunter, and David Fincher is the... the he's the bomb. <laughs> yeah, he's the, the head uh, right. creative behind that show. So Netflix has worked with Fincher before, um, mm-hmm. so it just makes sense that they would work want to work on another project. And I'm going to tell you guys this right now. Like, there's a lot of garbage on Netflix for sure. If I had to rank my top five favorite Netflix shows right now, Mindhunter is on there. It is a fantastic uh, kind of psycho. I might, I might, you know what? I might use this opportunity to catch up with it before this comes out because that's kind of perfect. Lead it in, lead into his new project with them by watching the old one. I really got to do that. I, I and, just, and guess I what? Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the main uh, detectives that we follow is the voice of uh, Christoph in Frozen. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Jonathan yep. Groff. Yep. Yeah, I forgot he was on that. Um, so. But yeah, it, uh, Mindhunter is a fantastic kind of uh, uh, really kind of quiet psychoanalysis of these two detectives like just talking to serial killers. And this was kind of the, the birth of like um, – finding out what makes them tick and like, you know, them going to interview these people. Cause this was unheard of. And a lot of people didn't know what made a serial killer do their thing and what was their pattern. And so these two guys went uh, to prisons all over the place to get, um, you know, these recordings of the, just them talking. Uh, and they would be very candid about their, their murders. And like, it's just wild. Uh, in season two, they have an episode where they they visit Manson, and uh, first of all, all these actors that they get for all these killers, it is spot on, kind of like disturbingly spot on. If you see a side by side comparison of the actual people and the people that they cast, it's like whoever's the casting director needs to get a raise. I mean, it, it is incredible. So to go back to say this, since Mindhunter is so uh, effing great, um. Just to see him come back and do another Netflix show, that's awesome. That means they have a great, uh, you know, relationship with one another, and um, I hope they continue to make more stuff. If if I had never heard of Chinatown ever in my life or anything, I would want to check this out because of Fincher's, you know, name on it. He's he's putting his, uh, you know, career on this thing, so he does that with every project. So if that is the case, I will definitely check this out. I will definitely check out the movie the uh, Nicolas Cage thing uh, guys this is a case where Mr. Cage has peaked I didn't think that he could actually like top himself uh, after all the stuff that he's done ever since he went bankrupt and he started doing all these VOD stuff and like doing uh, four movies a week 
I did not think that he would ever do a project that would just like be peak Nicolas Cage. This is it right here. I mean, it, we're talking about meta times a thousand. Like it, it, it is meta on heroin. It's just this. This is going to be insanity, uh, and I cannot wait to see it. Um, it is uh, Nicolas Cage has been one of these actors for me. First of all, I respect the man greatly. Uh, he might be uh, a little difficult to work with, and he's made some poor financial decisions in his past. But I love watching his movies. Um, good ones, bad ones, you name it. I, I you know, one of my favorite uh, kind of at-home theater experiences as a kid is when uh, I don't think uh, I don't think my parents knew about it, but I, I I don't know how I got a copy of it, but I snuck in a viewing of uh, Face Off, and it was like one of my favorite. It still is one of my favorites, but like you know, when I was a kid, like that was like the face off. Movie. Face off is awesome. It's so great. Uh, <laughs> it's and so great. That was like my first, like I guess, child introduction to Cage and Travolta. Um, and so yeah, it's it's, it's great. But yeah, th- this is exactly the type of stuff I would expect Nicolas Cage to do. So if you were to pitch me, Joel, this exact story, and then I gave you my thoughts about it, I got super excited, and you. You patted me on the shoulder and said, April Fool's, it's all a joke. I would have been like, you fooled me because that sounds like something he would do. So that's what's crazy about him <laughs> so is that I, I will believe anything that you say about him now because right. he would probably sign up for it. <laughs> well, um, at one point, wasn't uh, wasn't there like – and I, I really wish that it had come true. Wasn't he attached to a Charlie Kaufman project about like an Oscars host and it all took place in the Oscars uh, or like – it was it was modeled after the Oscars, and and it was supposed to like all take place on the – and it was like this insane cast of a bunch of people playing versions of themselves except he wasn't even playing himself, which you know kind of raised the question of whether or not Nicolas Cage existed in that world. Anyway, it's just the guy is well, just once insane. again, I mean – what you just said sounds fake. <laughs> so, like, I exactly. can't tell. Like, I'm pretty sure it was in the works at some point. <laughs> I just, I can't tell. The man's insane, but uh, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. It, obviously, my favorite out of the three, even though I love all three of these stories. The PTA thing is really awesome because, first of all, like you said, um, he's going back to like his boogie nights uh, type of a visual aesthetic. You know that you know funky, groovy, licious type of. Uh, uh, I can't believe I said that word on on air, but whatever. Um, uh, please, please work it in once a week. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I I like Boogie Nights quite a bit. I, I would even uh, argue top three. And so for him to kind of go back to that style is great. And I've seen all of his movies. Joel, correct me if I'm wrong. Would this be the first one that he's actually like focused on, like teenagers? Mainly as characters? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they are. I mean, Jeremy Blackman was a big role. He was the kid in, in Magnolia. But um, I'm talking like like a big group. Right, as main, yeah. as main roles. Right, yeah. As like uh, the ensemble would be made of kids. I, yeah. I, he's never done that before. That's going to be or wild. Teenagers. Yeah, it's going to be insane, and it's going to be interesting to see who he casts. Because he obviously I have a prediction. A, well, I, I have a feeling he's going to go with some unknowns. But certainly— I, I think uh, if—and I could be totally wrong— but since they've been having a lot of meetings together, and he has declared his love for her, oh, I think he's going to put Tiffany Haddish as a teacher role. Okay, and you know who he might also cast? At least one of them is is the uh, one of the members of Heim, uh, the uh, the band that he the uh, girl group right. that he does like a, 
a bunch of videos for. I wouldn't be surprised if he decides to at least cast one of them and maybe have them like write a, an original song for it or something. Uh, would not be surprised because I think I don't think that there's a video he has not directed of theirs. I, I can't think of one. He um, he pairs with them a lot and does all uh, does a lot of their videos. So I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to loop them in somehow. I, I uh, um. I'm but yeah, really... Tiffany Haddish, I, I, that would be a kind of a perfect... <laughs> like a teacher role, yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. I'm not really a huge fan of like nepotism or like when spouses cast one another mm. in their movies, but I've always been fascinated if PTA would ever take on um, Maya, directing Maya in a role. Yeah. Yeah. Do the John Krasinski, Emily Blunt thing with... <laughs> right. uh, with The Quiet Place. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, except, I, I guess, without him in it, but... Right, uh, um, but yeah, that I, I, that's never going to happen. But who, who knows? Right. Uh, may, maybe they've talked about it. But um, yeah, I uh, I love all three of these. Uh, of course, the Nicolas Cage one it will always win any any day of the week. But I'm really fascinated to see what PTA is going to do with like a uh, you know days like this is going to be like his Richard Linklater version of uh, Days and Confusion. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious to know how that how that goes. So yeah, he always does kind of shadow. Uh, um, not shadow, kind of, yeah, I guess I'll use the word, um, shadow homages to other directors. He's not like explicit about it, but you know, Boogie Nights is kind of his Martin Scorsese movie. Magnolia is kind of his Altman movie. Um, and so is Inherent Vice. Uh, Punch Drunk Love is kind of his Nora Ephron or Nancy Myers movie kind of, you know, that kind of thing where he will, he will consistently call back because he loves those directors so much. And, um, you know, There Will Be Blood is kind of Kubrick, Kubrickian a little bit. Um, and, and, and obviously John Houston, there's a bit of that. So, yeah, I mean, this is obviously going to be his, um, uh, like you said, his, his sort of his link later movie because he's, he's an auteur. He's working with a bunch of kids, um, in the seventies. I mean, it's obvious that that's where, that's where at least he probably thought back to that movie. Um, I can imagine. So, and, well, and a little bit of everybody wants some, a little, uh, uh, sort of too. So, right. And that makes total sense because when, um, what was it? I think when the master came out, I pointed out that uh, he is almost tackled like every genre. Like if you think mm-hmm. about it, with uh, gangster films, uh, dramas, horror film with uh, "There Will Be Blood," romance, mm-hmm. um, his drug odyssey, uh, his I, I I call it science fiction horror uh, with the master because. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Scientology is not real, but uh, hey, listen, if uh, you know it's science fiction, um, but yes, uh, this would be his high school, uh, you know, coming of age, and so that's that's yeah. awesome. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Great news. All right, uh, last bit of news is I'm just going to kind of run through some of my favorite nominations at the Indie Spirits because they were announced uh, this week, and um, <clears throat> sorry, had to clear my throat there. <clears throat> sorry, folks, <laughs> I had something caught in my throat. Um, so best feature was really interesting. So we have the farewell marriage story and uncut gems in there, but we also have a couple of, uh, of surprises. I was not expecting a hidden life and clemency to show up. Uh, generally speaking, the, the cutoff is 22 and a half million dollars for, for this, um, awards body to consider something. So I just, for some reason, I thought that a hidden life was maybe more than that. (laughs) I didn't expect that to come, uh, to come up here. And in fact, Malik was not nominated for Best Director. Uh, the nominees for those were um, Eggers for, Lighthouse, for Lighthouse, Alma Harrell for uh, Honey Boy, Julia Sona for Loose, 
um, the Safties for Uncut Gems and Lorraine Scafaria for Hustlers. Uh, certainly an impressive uh, category there. Oh, I still need to need to see two of three of those. Um, all right, uh, those are really impressive. I like that. Now in the acting categories, some really really good moves here. So you have they didn't forget Jennifer Lopez and Hustlers. They didn't forget um, Joshua Jen in The Farewell. She played Nene. Although they didn't, uh, they didn't nominate Aquafina, which kind of surprised me. Uh, in in female lead, but in female lead, you did have, and this was interesting, Renee, Renee Zellweger and Judy. I didn't realize that that was so low budget. Um, and then you had uh, Mary Kay Place in Diane. I know that you're kind of mixed on that movie, but she's great in it. Elizabeth Moss and her smell. We were both really high on her. Um. An actor, I'm really, really happy that they went with Robert Pattinson for The Lighthouse. That's one of my favorite nominations uh, of this particular uh, collection. Um, and also, of course, Adam Sandler in Uncut, Uncut Gems. Uh, supporting female, I already went through that one. Uh, supporting male, obviously, Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse. Now, here's an interesting thing. They put no, both Noah Jupe and Shia LaBeouf in supporting male for Honey Boy. Uh, so the question is, which one is lead unless neither of them is lead uh that's so interesting yeah i i'm a little confused by that because right. noah jupe if you watch the whole movie he's clearly the lead and shia labeouf plays his father he's clearly the supporting and then lucas hedges plays an older version of noah jupe but he's barely even in the movie if they are mm. justifying him as the the lead it makes no sense right and so the question is do they just think that everybody is a supporting male because uh, which could, which could entire, which could, you know, be, be the case. Um, but, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't know. I think that they'll probably cancel each other out, uh, in terms of everybody voting for them. I think it's going to go to, um, either Defoe or Jonathan Majors for, uh, the last black man I in San Francisco. I love that, by the way. Absolutely yeah. love that. Oh man. He's still in my supporting actor category personally. Uh, I love yeah, Majors in that I movie. love him. And, um, now, speaking of speaking of that, one of your favorite movies of the year, or it was at one point, I don't know if it's still on your list, but To Dust uh, was nominated for screenplay. Um, it's about time someone recognized that movie. Right? <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. This this is a uh, it's a blind spot for me, but I do I do like that they went there uh, with that, and that was with uh, Noah Baumbach in Marriage Story, the Safties and Ronald Bronstein for uh, Uncut Gems, Chinonye uh, Chukwu for uh, Clemency. I've been hearing really good things about that script. Um, I think that script is actually floating around, like people are reading it right now. Um, and then this was really cool. Terrell Alvin McCraney for High Flying Bird. That was an awesome mention. Uh, kind of surprised that the last black man in San Francisco didn't get in there. Um, but, you know, take what you can. Um, let's see... First screenplay, I'm not familiar with any of those movies. I'm vaguely familiar with See You Yesterday. I know that that was a uh, Netflix thing. Um, and then there was Greener Grass, which had a minor release in, I think, October. But I don't know about the other three. Um, so that's that's interesting. Uh, Driveways, the, uh, which has um, – who is it? She's nominated in Best Actress. Oh, Hong Chao. In it, and then the vast of night. I I have seen that name, the name of that movie, but I don't know what uh, Blow the Man Down is. Uh, that's another first screenplay nomination. No idea. Uh, cinematography. Um, my personal like immediate runner-up choice is in here. Jaron Blaschka for uh, 
for the lighthouse. Love that cinematography. It's my second, it's my second, second favorite exhibition of that um, practice behind Shadow for me this year. Um, that got nominated. Midsommar, uh, I'm sure that you're happy about that. Um, and it is gorgeous cinematography. Um, interesting one is Natasha Breyer for Honey Boy. I haven't seen this movie yet, but she also shot uh, Gloria Bell this year. Notice that uh, just recently. Todd Banhazel for uh, for Hustlers, really great cinematography there. I like that. And then the Third Wife, uh, kind of an un, un, uh, under the radar bit of um, uh, foreign filmmaking. I've heard pretty good things about. Uh, the big kind of weird thing that everybody was has been noticing is the fact that Marriage Story did not get into any acting categories. And I was just wondering, Chase, do you know why that is? I do not know that. Okay. It's because it won the Robert Altman Award, and if they choose – that's the first thing they choose. And if they choose it, then none of the actors are eligible ah. for, the, for the category. So while they would have gone for pretty much anybody in that movie uh, – they did not because it won the Robert Altman Award. Uh, of course, that's denoting great ensembles, even though, well, <laughs> Altman did more than just work with ensembles, but that's what he was famous for. Um, I kind of want them to, to name it the Shortcuts Award because that was uh, that was one of his best movies and uh, probably his best cast that he worked with. Um, let's see. I think that's pretty much it that I wanted to mention. Obviously, like Parasite got into international film. So did Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Those are probably going to um, – And the and souvenir. Sort of, and the souvenir, yeah, because yeah, it's United United Kingdom. They have clearer rules than the, than the, than the academy apparently. Um, so that will be an interesting show off I, I, or showdown. I think that it's going to come between those three, honestly. I think that those three are the, the ones. Um, documentary, uh, one that I have not seen that is very, very high on our friend Mark's list that I really need to see but have no way of doing so, For Sama. Uh, that documentary that, uh, I think is his only four star documentary, uh, this year about the, uh, the Syrian crisis from the perspective of somebody living through it and filming along the way, uh, have heard is amazing kind of a miracle that it exists, that it exists. I think that this is the first time that it's actually shown up on something. So it may have a pretty good run, but otherwise you have, um, two pretty amazing movies, American factory, which we watched, which we saw together and, uh, Apollo 11. Honeyland, which I'm going to be catching up with. I'm going to try to catch up with before the end of the year. And it's something called the Island of the Hungry Ghosts. Never heard of that. So sorry about that, folks. But um, let's see. Oh, so Joe Talbot, director of uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco, did actually show up somewhere. And that is on the Someone to Watch Award, which is awesome because he truly is somebody to watch. Uh, can't wait to see how that fares. So, yeah, it's actually a really interesting category, like a uh, series of categories this year. Really interesting. Um, I have enjoyed closely watching these ever since I voted for the winners. I was not able to vote for the um, the nominees. I came into it too late, but I did pay. I think it's like ninety dollars to uh, to get screeners and to get um, voting privileges to vote for the winners. Back in I think at the end of twenty fifteen is when I did that. Yes, because I got uh, screeners for Spotlight Room. Uh, tangerine, some other stuff right in my drawer in my closet right now, um, and uh, Carol. Anyway, and uh, I always like to closely watch these, see see you know how how evenly do they spread out, and the the outcome this time was the fact that A24 pretty much led 
all the way. Uh, they got 18 nominations among them for the whole thing, including two nominees in Best um, Feature, Farewell and Uncut Gems, and Uncut Gems in the Lighthouse tied for most nominations, five. And Uncut Gems got nominations in Feature, Director, uh, Male Lead, Screenplay, and, and I think and editing, and I think that that's one of like the few times that that's happened in recent years. So really interesting, um, and I can't wait to see how that turns out. So uh, that's basically it. I, I think that uh, – do you have any thoughts about these? Uh, I really like the uh, the best feature mix because when we saw Marriage Story in September, I actually had tickets to Clemency, and I mm-hmm. did the switch – to see Marriage Story because I thought Marriage Story would be a bigger play. And I wanted to see Clemency, but, you know, I, I had to choose one. And I chose, uh, you know, Marriage Story. They were both playing at the same time. And now that I've seen that Clemency is getting all this praise and love, it, I mean, it could do some damage. And that's that's kind of cool. So I'm really thinking that it's possible Alfre Woodard slips in a Best Actress at the Oscars. I mean, we'll see. That'd be crazy. Um, yeah, I been hearing amazing things about her performance right so, so who who knows man but that 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 was really cool to see um best director i mean luckily i've seen four out of the five i still need to see loose but i think these are all warranted um yeah uh <laughs> oh god because i'm still saying i'm still thinking about uncut gems i'm like these sappies like, man they're just insane <laughs> um uh, best first feature. Uh, I know you didn't go over, but I'm really glad like Booksmart got in there. Oh, yeah. um, of course, Last Black Man in San Francisco. I know I was mixed on Diane, but I still thought that um, Mary Kay Place was good in the movie. So listen, give that. Yeah, movie... I forgot to I forgot to touch on that. Yeah, uh, give that movie praise. Um, uh, it's definitely it doesn't even go anywhere near anything bad that I saw this year. It was just kind of like eh, maybe I need to rewatch it. Maybe that maybe it was just uh, the day I saw it, but. Right. Uh, best female lead, um, you know, Moss being in there. You know, we didn't really care for the movie overall, but we both agreed that she was great. Uh, still need to see Judy. Uh, got the screener for that. So that one will be a priority because um, she could definitely jump into the major awards down the line. So I need to watch it. Uh, best male lead. Um, I've only seen two out of the five. So I can't <laughs> right. really comment uh, too much, but I've been hearing a lot about Kelvin Harrison Jr., for not only waves but also loose, so yeah. Um, From yeah. what I saw of waves, he's fantastic in that too. So right, so he's he's <laughs> having a heck of a year, and yeah. uh, I won't tell you uh, anything about the movie, but let me just tell you, the Sandman being in any type of awards consideration <laughs> is warranted, and right. that's awesome. Uh, yeah, it is. I've been electric. hearing, by the way, I've been hearing also really great things about Matthias Chainers in uh, the Mustang, which I really need to catch up with. Uh, I've been hearing fantastic things about him and that so that's a that's another uh big time kind of critics critics awards season show uh you know uh he shows up a lot i think he's going to show up a lot uh here on out so well, that, yeah. that's why i like going over um <clears throat> excuse me uh these these awards lists because i had no idea uh some of these movies existed now that they're on my radar now i'll i'll definitely kind of throw them up on there, like but... burning cane burning cane shows up here a couple times and that is a netflix movie uh that mm. was on netflix i really need to catch up with that because i've been hearing really good it's made by a 17 year old oh wow. uh, who's, yeah who's still in or was still in high school when he made it i think he's graduated since then but uh because he made it a uh, more than a year ago 
but it's got Wendell Pierce, who's been in stuff like The Wire and and Suits and um, some other stuff. Um, yeah, I've been hearing really good things about that, and that shows up not in first feature, but it shows up in uh, what is it? The oh, the um, I forgot to mention this. The um, the John Cassavetes Award, which is uh, movies that cost five hundred thousand or less, uh, and I think that that was actually one that was like I don't know, I think it was like ninety thousand or a hundred thousand or something like that. It was right. insane. Really, really low price. Uh, and then Wild Nights with Emily is the only other one in that category I'm really familiar with. Um, Premature played at Diff, but we missed it. I've never heard of Colwell, but apparently has Karen Allen in it from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Give Me Liberty is one that I'm vaguely familiar with, too. I've heard the name. I don't know what it's about, but shows up in Best Actor as well. Um yeah. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> but yes, some of these movies, you're right. Exactly. I mean, they they just put it put it on your radar, and then you know, hope, hopefully we can hopefully we can see some of these. Um, uh, well, uh, let's uh, rephrase that. You will probably see them. I will uh, probably see them <laughs> uh, because Joel has more time than me. Uh, but I, I do the best that I can, guys. Uh, right. So right. best supporting uh, female. Um, God, I really I really need to see waves, and I'm I'm I, I oh, I'm so excited. Uh, I love the farewell nomination uh, for sure. Uh, a lot of people have been pushing for her to be uh, in still that category. In, still in my top five. Spoiler. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean she she's fantastic. And then of course, obviously J Lo was going to get in there. Uh, I mean they've been pushing for her pretty yeah. heavy uh, on that movie, which she's you been, know she's been working it, man. Yeah. She's been all over the place. Yeah, I, I appreciate uh, Sticks, you know, um, yeah. throwing her up because at least they're putting some energy behind something uh yeah exactly. uh best supporting male um i still i'm still confused by the the honey boy thing it's just weird uh but my pick um as much as i love defoe and labeouf in those movies it's majors man like that that performance i like i saw that movie which seems like five years ago and i still remember how the attic scene played out i still remember how <laughs> the the porch scene played out like Mm-hmm. Jonathan Majors made an impact. Like that's mm-hmm. how good this movie is. I still remember those scenes, and we saw that movie so long ago. Um, yeah, June. Yeah, it June. June. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I see. I I thought it was March. So that's it. That, that's what I'm saying. Like it felt like uh, it was even longer. Um, right. Uh, screenplay. You might have seen it. You might have seen it in May. I can't remember, but because uh, I know it was a twenty four, and you went right. to a screen. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I think. Yeah, I think it was May. Um, yeah. Screenplay, this is a great category, uh, and I'm glad that I've seen four out of the five <laughs> so I can at least talk about it. Um, these are all great, man. Um, and let me tell you, if I can write the F word 200-plus times and send it in as a script, I would be also nominated, <laughs> uh, just like the Safi brothers. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, it, it's a really good script. Um, it, my top two, uh, for personal reasons, Marriage Story and To Dust, but if if I had to put the edge up, it, it this is this is Noah's year. Uh, for screenplay all across the board. Um, so just, just get ready for that sweep. Um, best cinematography, uh, all great. I have not seen The Third Wife, so I can't comment. But if I had to pick, uh, I am a sucker for black and white anything. So Lighthouse all the way, baby. Um, and in editing, listen, I've only seen one out of the five. And I'm going to hype it up. But Uncut Gems is a pretty well edited movie, so I mean, <laughs> just throwing it out there. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and then best documentary. I forgot to tell Joel this, and I'll tell you guys this. Uh, uh, I finally finished Apollo Eleven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good. 
um, or maybe I mentioned it in an earlier. I have no uh, clue, but uh, or maybe I was he has watching no memory of his previous life. Right. Or maybe I was watching and I didn't finish it. I had to watch it in chunks uh, right? because uh, I was watching it at work. Whoops, sorry. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it was like watching uh, the moon landing all over again. And it's not just because of the color uh, transformation, but it was also the way it was put together. It felt like a cinematic fictional tale, and what you were watching was actually real. Like, it was uh, outstanding. And then, of course, yeah, you and I saw American Factory, which I still believe is – it's just incredible. Like I, I still love that movie. It's the probable. I don't know if it's the winner here, but it's a probable winner at the Oscars. Uh, yeah, uh, I think I think, I so think it's the most relevant. It's the one that has the most to say. It's it's just exquisitely put together, really well edited. It, it people like this movie a lot, and they like the experience of watching this movie. And right. I I think I mean I just I can't speak for you it, know, it had, Andy uh, Spears book, but. Um, I, I when I put up my reviews on my YouTube channel, right? I keep track of like the views and like what's hitting and what's not. American mm-hmm. Factory was the biggest one, okay? Uh, out of, yeah, uh, uh, out of all like in all the comments, like a lot of people were calling me out uh, about something I said. I I edited it out of my review. It wasn't anything like bad. It was just um, I said something uh, to the akin of like when uh, the the owner of um, the GM plant that was living in China, right? I said something that he was referring to in the documentary, but the way I said it made it seem like I was putting down like a whole culture. But I was like, no, 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 this was his mindset. I was just kind of uh, relaying that information. It came out wrong and I apologize for sure. So I I had to cut that out. But uh, other than the folks, it kind of, it kind of wasn't pimped on their front page, but it is on Netflix. It's a Netflix. It was one picked, picked up by them. And, and we, uh, so we, we, shortly and after, heard or maybe it. even, you remember that? Because yes. like when we sat there, they were like, uh, "Oh, this literally just happened. Netflix picked it up. It's going to drop." Yeah, it was uh, within there. it was within the last day or something, right? Yeah, it was, it was wild, uh, yeah. So, so, fantastic documentary. Easily, it's it's watchable right at, right there on your couch if you want to if you want to catch up with that. Uh, and it's and it's certainly if you're wanting to keep up with documentaries like I haven't, for instance. Then, uh, then watch that one. So yeah, and then uh, just real quick on uh, best international feature, I actually have the opportunity to see uh, Invisible Life and Les Miserables as a double feature. Believe it or not, but I have to turn it down just because I'm already seeing three movies that week, and I I can't, guys. Yeah, it's, it's I mean really it's hard. two it's two movies, and plus I think doesn't the first one start at like five anyway? Uh, so it's six, yeah. So oh, six, like, yeah. I knew it was a little bit. I, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, I, I'd be out all night, and you guys have to understand when I go to these screenings, I live twenty, you know, minutes away. So like, it, it's already like a, I get home late. So if I, I'm seeing two or three movies a week, I gotta like pick and choose. And uh, I'm seeing Bombshell that week, and um, the Aeronauts, and I gotta see Knives Out. So for the show, so uh, guys, it's if I if this was my job, and Joel and I could just do this all day every day, I would love that, but. I, it's just not possible. Um, yeah. But I had the opportunity to actually see both of them as a double feature, but I got turned down. But if I did do that, I will have seen three out of the six. So that's different for me because usually I don't <laughs> see any of the uh, uh, any of the foreign films. I am upset right. that Portrait of a Lady on Fire, we probably won't even see it until February. Right, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Joel raves about the souvenir all the time, all day, every day. So – uh, I'll get to it eventually because it is on Prime now. So yeah. um, you'll but, get to it right now. I'll wait. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, right. uh, <laughs> no, no. Uh, but uh, Parasite, Parasite, Parasite. That movie is going to just dominate everything. So right. that is my thoughts on the Spirit Awards. 
nothing else needs to be nominated. All right, so uh, let's move into our review of Frozen 2. So, of course, this is the sequel <laughs> to Frozen, the 2013 phenomenon. Wait, wait, it's uh, not the sequel to the uh, uh, the one where the kids got stuck up in the, the ski lift? <laughs> oh god oh boy no no um <laughs> oh, no, no 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 i don't want to i don't want to see a sequel to that and that would be that would be bad uh where i mean there'd be only one character in that <laughs> that's true <laughs> let's just say um or well i guess two if they follow the uh the actions of the car or something but anyway um I only vaguely remember that movie. That's it was released like what was it nine years ago? It was like yeah, two thousand ten or nine. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. It really, good. it's a pretty good movie. Uh, kind of ridiculous, but pretty good. Um, all right, so yes, back to Frozen Two, the Frozen Two that we have, which is a sequel to the Disney animated film. Um, this one once again uh, stars the voices of Idina Menzel and Kristen Bell as Elsa and Anna, who are sisters. Living in the Kingdom of Arendelle. And, um, you know, the previous movie had Elsa taking over as queen uh, because of the deaths of their parents in a, in a shipwreck at sea. And so she's just kind of, uh, in this movie, settling into that position, into that status. And uh, also kind of dealing with the, um, the burden of her powers, which are to manipulate water, particularly at its solid form. And uh, this story presents her with something of a mystery. Basically, a voice is calling to her from a great distance. She cannot figure out what it is and and suspects that it has to do with a bedtime story told to her and her sister when they were younger uh, about an ancient forest and the natives that lived in it and also their grandfather. Uh, something to do with, with all of that. Apparently, it was something that really happened. They have to figure out what you know who's the voice why is the um the forest covered in a weird fog that won't lift and also uh has potentially trapped some people inside of it and uh that's basically it's a it's a bit of a road movie for a little bit because they have to make their way to that forest um and to find not only the 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 secret of that past but also potentially the secret of Elsa's own powers um so as people know my my second favorite animated movie of the whole decade, my favorite animated movie of 2013 and my number three of that, that year in general was frozen. I think it's an extraordinary film. I think it's pretty much perfect in every way. Uh, even despite the insane hype that surrounded it in the months and years, uh, following its release, uh, to this day, people still, you know, are crazy for let it go. The signature song from midway through the movie that acted as an empowerment anthem for Elsa became a fun phenomenon unto itself. And I think that the characters were real true blue originals. I think that they are genuinely uh, funny, charming, excellent characters um, in the presence of that first movie and, and within the context of an original princess story uh, that it deconstructs very, very well. Deconstructs both the princess and also the true love aspects of these usual Disney fables, and that's why I think that Frozen is just remarkable. So, obviously, going into a sequel, I was down for it because the original movie kind of asked for a sequel, I think, at least, because there was such a big universe um, that, you know, or not such a big universe, but such um, an automatically prepared universe, both for a, broad, a Broadway play, it eventually became one, and also a, um, 
uh, a sequel because it's just such a likable, fun world. So now we have this sequel. I was very excited to see it. Can I report that it is as good as the original film? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I cannot. Um, however, I don't want that little, I guess, scoff that I just had there mean that I'm entirely dismissing this movie because I do kind of like it. I, I did kind of like this one. But man, it really falls short of the original movie. And in fact, I think the closest thing that I can compare this experience to is seeing How to Train Your Dragon 2, uh, which I have seen twice and uh, am convinced that it's it falls fell, uh, well short of the first How to Train Your Dragon, my number one favorite animated movie of the decade. Um, it, it was very similar experiences. They were both movies that took their original um, – uh, their predecessors and tried to do something different with them. Now they do something different within that context. Um, I think that this movie is actually kind of closing in on the characters a little bit. It's not really expanding on the world in a way. It's really kind of just an addendum to the story of Elsa and Anna. Whereas How to Train Your Dragon 2 was bigger, uh, added a villain, um, all of that. But they were very similar experiences for me where I came away with a general appreciation for, obviously, the animation, which is gorgeous here, once again. Uh, beautifully animated and probably better animated than the original, um, just because it's nine years, it's not, uh, six years later, I should say. And certainly a general appreciation for that. I think that it's, it's every bit as funny as the first movie was, mainly because, once again, we have Olaf, uh, the living snowman, voiced by Josh Gad, who is hilarious here, as always. He gets um, some of the film's best moments. There's this thing where he gets to recap the plot of the first movie for an enraptured audience. And the movie's kind of the joke in that scene is basically um, the enraptured audience has been those who love the movie uh, for the last six years. And um, so it's understandable that it went down that path uh, doing that. And it's a really funny scene. It's just – it's funny hearing Gad do a lot of these voices and, and impressions and – and it's an extended scene. He also gets a really funny number about how basically at some point he's going to understand the imminent like, you know, doom of every species and and the um, the inevitable understanding of uh, the kind of the crushing weight of existential understanding <laughs> almost, if that makes sense, in this really playful, fun song called um, uh, When I Get Older and a really, really funny song, really funny scene. Uh, surrounding that where he's encountered some uh, unknown variables in, in the form of some spirits. I'll just say that. I won't give anything else away. Um, where he freaks out about it. and Anyway, just because of Gad, it's it's hilarious, and it's as hilarious as it was in the, in the first movie. Every bit is successful. Um, and he's a real original character. The movie, the movie didn't uh, – the movie relied on him a little bit more than this one does, this one pushes him in the background, and that's part of the problem. This movie keeps pushing other characters except for Elsa in the background, so that at one point, Anna kind of becomes a supporting character in the story that was supposed to be about both of them. That's That was really frustrating. Um, for so long, it felt like she was just kind of um, functional here. She basically has to uh, worry about Elsa and also unintentionally um, avoid the marital uh, advances of Kristoff, who, you know, 
as we mentioned before, is voiced by Jonathan Groff. And uh, that's all that she has to do in this narrative. And so that's a little disappointing. Then you have the central mystery, um, both of Elsa's powers and also just this riddle that kind of comes up. It's interesting enough. I think that it actually ends on its best moments. There's a song, the the second solo for, for Elsa, a song called um, Show Yourself, that is beautiful, gorgeous song. Uh, and it's actually guiding the action in a way that I that I wasn't anticipating. Uh, I don't think that the first movie did that so much. There was it was a lot of complimenting the action, not leading it not leading it on. Here you have a scene where um, she's trying to fit in these like last pieces of the puzzle and the song plays. She's singing it. Uh, Menzel's vocal performance is excellent. And uh, it's the best song in the movie, I think. Um, but I, I do kind of have a problem with the way that it's basically just structured as a literal pu- puzzle box. I'm kind of tired of that. And I think that uh, Jennifer Lee, who's the, the screenwriter here, um, also co-directed the movie with Chris Buck, as with the first one. Um, I think that that's that's a little disappointing, just because there is a there is a literalization of the plot that I that I thought was a little underwhelming. The first movie had a lot uh, a lot more considerations to have than just the plot, um, and so here to kind of focus on that specifically, the little like I said, just a little just a little disappointing. But I think that it ends well. Um, that that thread does end well. It's uh, it's quite good. So quite heartfelt. Um, I'm trying to think, there's not a whole lot to talk about. Um, which is also a problem, I guess. There was way more to talk about in the first movie. There's not much staying power with this one. Um, that's basically it in terms of specifics of the plot. Obviously, the voice casting is all perfect. You know, we get some added voices here, including Evan Evan Rachel Wood as a queen. Um, Iduna, I think, is her name. And uh, Sterling K. Brown, the excellent Sterling K. Sterling K. Brown as a lieutenant. Um, Matthias, I think, is his name. Uh, and some others, you know, scattered around here. But uh, they're, the, they're the most prominent new voices. I think uh, Jason Ritter shows up, too. This guy named Ryder, but he doesn't really have a role um, to speak of. But... The voice casting, it's all perfect. Everybody does does a perfect job of servicing this material, uh, really great chemistry with each other, um, lots of lots of successful humor. And, um, and yeah, so I like the voice work. Obviously, I mentioned the animation. It's beautiful. There's some really haunting moments here involving some of the uh, – some of Elsa's powers, which are kind of unprecedented and uh, specifically to do with, again, those last pieces of the puzzle that she that she has to fit together. Um, which are presented in a very visual way, and uh, and I like that. I I, I think that um, there's a lot of creative creative visuals here, um, but there is just a lot of asterisks. <laughs> I feel like with all these with all of these um, these uh, accomplishments in the movie, I think that there are some disappointments and the major disappointments for me are the fact that they just go for a smaller, less complex plot. Um, and then they focus really heavily on that plot and instead of on the characters. 
so that Anna kind of gets pushed to the pushed to the back. Kristoff just basically becomes a, another, you know, kind of a, a, a bow, uh, somebody wooing someone. And Olaf, you know, gets pushed off a little bit too. Doesn't doesn't take as much of a part in the in the plot. And I just I I like the movie in very basic ways. I think it works as a sequel. It recaptures some of the magic, um, if not nearly enough to even begin to uh, to match up with the first film. So, yeah, not, not really much else to say, unfortunately. But I am giving it a B minus, just a slight recommendation. Definitely go see it. I mean, you're probably if you're listening to this, you're gonna go see it anyway. Uh, so so have fun with that. It's certainly one I'm recommending, but only just, but only just recommending. Uh, it does have a lot of problems. So. That is my review. I'm giving Frozen 2 a B minus. It kind of pains me to say that, Chase, but that's how it happens sometimes. Hopefully, you know, they're they're definitely going to do a, a trilogy of these. Um, I welcome that. I think that there's still obviously potential. Um, this is a bit of a speed bump, though. So, yeah, that's my review of Frozen 2. Take it away, sir. Yeah, I'm actually uh, the opposite when it comes to that statement. I. I thought it wrapped it up just fine to where, like, if they make a third one, cool, capitalism, but um, I'd be cool if they just ended it. Uh, Cool, capitalism. Right. Um, Yeah, I I think they wrapped it up in a way to where if they never gave us a third one, I I mean, I'd be fine with it. I – here's what's weird about everything I'm going to say. Like, this is going to make no sense, but I'm going to go ahead and just pitch it this way. (laughs) I don't think this is a – good frozen sequel it's a fine movie on its own if it wasn't tied to the frozen brand there's great animation in it great voice work but at the same time i think this actually works better as like a 30 40 minute short film and they should have just slapped it on disney plus i hate saying stuff like that but i think it probably would have benefited if you could stretch Olaf's frozen adventure into 22 minutes, you could have easily done that with this and just doubled the time uh, and then uh, covered that all what you so need to cover. so true. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, oh, man. Yeah. So I – Joel is absolutely correct. Um, the story is so thin that I was actually kind of astonished when it ended. I was like, the movie was fine, but if you think about like what the skeleton of the movie was in its actual script – there wasn't much that was happening. It was like they go on this little adventure, which, by the way, I, I really like. I mean, uh, the movie starts off very promising where they're going to go explore beyond Arendelle. They're going to go out into the unknown. They're going to go down this these paths and the, go on this trek. And, like, that's ambitious. And, you know, she's going to find out where she came from. Like, that's awesome. But when they get to a certain point, they all separate. And then once we start following each individual path, it doesn't come together anymore. It just, they feel like these like weird loose ends that we're following. And then when it goes back to Elsa, we find out what she was trying to figure out. It's a bit underwhelming. Like when it happens, you're like, okay. And then we just move on and the climax of the movie happens. And then that's also underwhelming. And then the movie ends and I'm like, this was a frozen sequel. Like it was just weird. So I think what I'm going to pitch this movie as it would work better as a 30 to 40 minute kind of 
short film that you could you could have easily launched with Disney Plus and called it Frozen Two or something. I, I just I don't think this movie was necessary for a theatrical, um, you know, viewing. Uh, it, it just it doesn't work for me on that front. Now uh, to go to some of the positives, you know, because I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on this entire thing. The animation is gorgeous, as most Disney uh, animated films are. Uh, whether it be Pixar or Disney proper, they have uh, really good, you know, rendering farms over there, uh, the best that money can buy, and they always look great. The environments look really um, luscious and colorful, and you know, the characters are, um, you know, they're really well designed. It's just, you know, you can't really. Uh, diss the animation when it comes to these movies and that's why i can't really rate this movie below what i'm gonna rate it because there's a lot of technically a a lot of good things about it the voice work is also spot on uh kristen bell and adina mazel always great chemistry uh especially from the first one and this one and uh you know jonathan groff is, sounds like he's having fun uh josh gad is being Josh Gad. So, I mean, the, the voice work is never a problem with these movies, so I have no issue with that. I like the I like the new additions, and I'm a huge fan of Evan Rachel Wood and even a bigger fan of Sterling K. Brown. I, they were barely even in it. <laughs> and, like, I, I, I don't know. It's like their characters came on screen, and we got, like, a, a bit of a background on them, and then that was it. And then they, like, would show up, like, 30, 40 minutes later be a part of the climax and the movie would end. And I'm like, what? Once again, was this necessary? So just like, I think Joel put it correctly. There's a lot of asterisks on like all these things that are happening and like a lot of question marks. And you're like, this is so weird that they decided to go down this route, but uh, I digress. Um, But yeah, uh, even though their, their characters were kind of uh, uh, flat and a little pointless, uh, you know, they, they do what they can uh, with voice work. And this would also be a great opportunity to mention that uh, Sterling K. Brown should do more animated movies because um, he has the voice for that. Um, what else? Uh, oh, the songs. Uh, I only like like two of them. <laughs> the rest uh, could, could easily go away. I think the biggest issue is separating the characters, right? Kristoff um, has a whole sequence where he's talking about Oh you my know, gosh! His issue, it, and I'm like, it was why? Why was he doing this? Yeah, it was that weird. was the worst. That was the worst one. Yeah, I was, um, it, and it, it also uses a really weird jo- joke involving his reindeer spin that doesn't work at all. Oh, it was awkward. I was yeah, like, it was really awkward. Victoria started and it, laughing, and I was and like, it, yeah. <laughs> and it felt like it was a weird '90s riff, but they were also trying to like make fun of. 90s riffs and all of you know like not not riff uh like a ballad or whatever and it, it like it was trying to be you know the michael bolton song from hercules or something <laughs> and right. it was it, was it so just does strange. not work yeah and I, it was probably uh the most misguided sequence in the entire movie because it was you could have easily cut that thing out and we would have never known um so uh, yeah that was weird and then um like when olaf was doing his thing and something happens to him and like it gets all serious and then like you realize that it's probably going to be fine towards the end there's just no stakes to this movie there's no there's no threat there's no there's no real sense of danger and i think that's that might be my biggest issue with this entire thing yes they're going to see 
uh, Elsa's um, ancestry, where she came from. But that's it. Like, even when the climax of the movie happens, it literally happens for, like, two minutes, and then it's done. And I'm like, hold on. Man, like, you're, I don't... you're so spot on. I, I totally didn't even think about this, but go ahead. Right. Yeah. I, like, I here. okay, here's – this is why this, this movie is so hard to talk about because it's so radically different than what you would think a sequel would be, but there's not enough to even justify it as a full movie to begin with. So the fact that they were going down this kind of like ambitious route of like leaving Arendelle, going to find out like on this weird rock where she came from, like that stuff is cool. Like I, I, I like that stuff. Like it, it, it's bold. It's taking a risk. It's doing outside the norm of what Disney would do, right? I'm not saying that you have to have a villain. And I'm also not saying that you have to have a threat per se. You could have a a sequel that does none of that, but still be really compelling. The problem is, it's so lackluster in both that you're like, there's just nothing going on. And so when you actually think about it, there there's no danger to it. There are no stakes to anything. Things just happen. And then it's all roses and smiles at the end. You're like, well, I don't understand like what the what was the antagonist like what her inner turmoil like it just i don't know man that's why this movie is so hard to review like i i honestly don't understand like who gave the okay for this exact story they wanted to tell because it just seems like there's a lot of stuff missing or there's a lot of stuff that they pitched that they took out and it just becomes like this really flaccid thing that has is, some bright spots, but it just overall just falls flat. It is odd because you have to wonder if basically what they were going for was a character-centric thing. Right, right? which I'd be okay but, with. Which, yeah, exactly. I would be, except that they're, they're so focused on the plot surrounding that. Right. That, that it kind of loses its way, and you're totally right. This movie doesn't – I mean there's, there's, a, there's a basic conflict. You know, obviously – and there's, there's an internal conflict, maybe a little bit more um, – complex than that but man there's really no stakes here because if you if if she doesn't oh man he was on a roll he was hold on <laughs> man joel it's a very weird experience yeah uh yeah, so could you could you just recap that one last time? You actually cut out, and then you came back and oh, ended your sentence. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so basically, yeah, I mean, it's basically like they wanted to do a character-centric thing, didn't, you know, then kind of made the mistake of, of focusing mostly on the plot surrounding that so that it, by the end there's a conflict. There's kind of a, a basic conflict, but there's no – and there, you're right. There's no antagonist. There's no – there's no uh, connecting tissue almost. And uh, yeah, it's it, very just, it just seems like it was an idea of a sequel that was expanded to an hour and 40 minutes and nothing happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and one, one last thing before I give my grade. <clears throat> Disney, I don't know uh, if you know this, but I love The Last Jedi. I really do. But I have an issue with adding characters to sell toys, uh, porgs. If you're going to introduce this weird 
fiery gecko in your movie and then literally do nothing with it, but it's just there to look cute and sell toys, I'm going to call you out. So there is a gecko, right? Uh, like a like a little lizard in Frozen 2 that it seems like it has pretty significant powers of like um, conducting heat and flames and all this stuff. And then it's just there to look cute. And it was actually presented as a minor threat for like 10 seconds. And then it was just like, oh, you're going to be a little pet now. And it's like, no, it's literally here to sell toys because it would cut the close ups and it would act like a dog. And I'm like, stop it. Just stop it, Disney. Um, <laughs> so I, d- I just wanted to, uh, to mention that. Uh, they literally have a fiery lizard uh, to sell toys. Um, yeah, I, it, I'm i just confused by this whole thing. I really am because – and the reason why I'm going so hard on this movie is exactly what Joel said. This movie was a phenomenon. Like if you were to look at any animated movie this past decade, Frozen is in the conversation – as being one of the most influential. And when you make a sequel, you better back it up, son. And this just, I just, I don't know what they were going for. I really don't. And so that's why I think that if you want to make a third one, cool. Once again, uh, Iger loves money, so it's going to happen probably. But they wrap it up in such a way to where like, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And it's like, okay like I'm, I'm okay with like if we if we wrapped up the story and like everyone's you know doing their own thing now so i don't know man it was a weird experience and on top of all that i was just angry because it was late at night there's people in the audience that wouldn't shut up it just it, it was a, it was a weird one joel I, if i had to chalk up uh weird experiences for the year this would be one of them but I, <laughs> i'm gonna get frozen to a c it's um right. like i said it I don't think it works well as a Frozen sequel because there's a lot of, like I said, stuff that's presented that doesn't have a good, like, follow-through. But if you look at it as just, like, a basic, like, Disney animated movie that just, like, just came out and it's called Frozen 2, but it has nothing to do with the first Frozen. It's just these people doing their thing. And, like, it's fine. It's passable. um, But I honestly think it could have been a short film and just has been been just as powerful. Interesting. Yeah. I – I guess I would agree with that. I just enjoyed the experience just a little bit more. Like I right. said, I'm very mixed on this, but uh, but yeah, um, I don't know if I can use the phrase from the show, but a marginal, you know what, from Eben Roper, if yeah. you know what I mean. Um, okay, because I don't want us to get uh, get sued, <laughs> but okay. Uh, so that's our review of Frozen Two. See it, don't see it, whatever the case. Uh, let us know if uh, if you do and what you thought. Um, and that'll be it for that. So on our next episode, uh, which we're about to record <laughs> in about 15 minutes, um, we're going to be counting down the worst films of the year. Uh, you aren't going to be getting a traditional review episode next week just because Chase is out of town. Uh, we'll be getting back to that the following week. I guess I might as well go through December, right? Joel, I, mean, I guess I you could, know right? what? Finish up the year. Tell, yeah, tell our wonderful well. listeners what uh, the rest of 2019 is going to offer them. It's the perfect time for that. Um, we're not going to be thinking. I'm not going to be thinking about doing that on on our top ten episode uh, that we're about to record. So, yeah. So, uh, Knives Out and The Irishman are going to be our double topic for the episode on the weekend of the sixth. Then Chase is going to be gone again. The uh, the rude rude person. I'm just kidding. Uh, so we're going to be skipping that week, but uh, the 13th. But we are coming back strong with a review 
of the biggest movie of the year, the most anticipated thing for anyone, which is Cats. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, which is Star Wars. <laughs> oh, you almost, you almost gave me a mild heart attack there. <laughs> that was my goal. Uh, then we will be like mass recording three at once. <laughs> <laughs> the following Friday, the just 27th. like we did last year. Yes, exactly. It'll be. It was fun last year. It was exhausting, but it was fun. We'll be doing it again. We'll be reviewing uh, Little Women on the show. Uh, of course, we've already seen it. So, <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, last episode of the year will be our uh, top ten episode. We'll be having a couple of guests come on. We're we're gonna have Mark Dusick back, and we're also going to have for the first time Clint Worthington of the spool.net uh he'll be joining us as well so uh very exciting and we'll be doing things a little bit differently on that episode than usual but it's uh it's going to be a lot of fun so that's the rest of the year for you and um and uh i guess first day of the new year obviously is going to be our top five uh most anticipated films of 2020 so i'm gonna be really sad that we can't put the irishman on there because we did that for right. like three years in a row. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah. Literally two years in a row for you and me. I don't know if you had it uh, there with um, – I think the Jackson had done the, the last one with you but um, before that. But yeah, it's crazy. All right. Uh, it's crazy that we're going to be seeing that within the week. Or I'm, I'm – <laughs> Right, finally. Oh, my gosh. It feels like this should have been sooner. Um. All right, folks, so that's it for this episode. Uh, Chase gave Frozen 2 a C. I gave it a B-. And that's it. So if you want to find my writing, it's joelonfilm.com, of course. Um, so in addition to my review of Frozen 2, I also have one for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, I also caught up with a review of Diane. Speaking of which, we've mentioned that a couple times on the show here. Uh, it's not on my front page, but you can click through to my 2019 listing to find that. And uh, you can follow my ramblings on Twitter at Real Joel Copeland. You can follow my daily progress on Letterboxd if you search my name. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's where I am on the internet. What about you, Chase? Yeah, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Real Chase Lee. If you guys want to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's at Real Me and Podcast. And of course, the podcast itself. Whether you're listening to on Castbox, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, Apple, Google, wherever. Uh, please spread it around and let people know what is up in the movie podcast community. And this is just one of your favorites. We would really appreciate that. But we appreciate your support. Uh, nonetheless, you guys are the best. So this has been episode 301. Uh, and, of course, 302 will be the worst films of the year. Boy, a lot of changes have been made on that one. Uh, but stay tuned for that. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see you guys next week for episode 302. But, uh, yeah, uh, stay cool. Watch some movies. It is Oscar season. Get excited. That is Joel. I am Chase. Peace out. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.